Welcome to the Daily Proverb Radio Podcast Show. Embracing wisdom every day. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, it is Mystery Monday on the Daily Proverb. And every Mystery Monday, we will be talking about mysteries surrounding the Christian faith and mysteries of the world and how we as believers can approach and respond to some of the most difficult questions that not many people really have answers for. And so every Monday we're going to be talking about mysteries. Now it's time for Mystery Monday. And today specifically we're going to be talking about the mystery surrounding the Shroud of Turin. Not many people have heard of this, although it has been gaining some traction and people are always looking for disproofs that Christ rose from the dead. Now, I'll tell you what, personally, Aaron, I don't need the Shroud of Turin to be real for me to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but some people may, and if it is an actual piece of fabric that exists from Christ's resurrection, this could be pretty significant. Yeah, very interesting. So we're going to talk about the Shroud of Turin today. What is it? How does it relate to Easter? Well, the Shroud of Turin is a very mysterious cloth that appears in history like some would say as far as 580 or earlier. And it's this enigmatic cloth with the image of a man on it. And this man has been beaten, crucified, and just it's horrible but at the same time the image is mysterious because the image should not be there because there's no pigmentation of paint or anything else it just is there nobody understands it. it's like okay and there's a lot of scientists who've been picking at this thing and just can't get to the bottom of it interesting what are scientists saying about this what are biblical scholars saying about this what are some of the comments that you're hearing in regards to the Shroud of Turin well, when it comes to comments, I mean, you got those people out there that say it's a forgery, it's nothing but paint, and stuff like that that's done on it. But the problem is, is when you get into that, the paint thing falls apart because the paints are supposed to actually absorb into the fabrics. Problem is, it doesn't even touch the inner fabric. It only touches the micro layers of that fabric. Okay, well, talk about some of the proofs and disproofs of the Shroud of Turin. Let's first off talk about some of the proofs. Based on your research, Aaron, what have you found that proves that the Shroud of Turin could actually be the very cloth that was wrapped around Jesus as he laid in that tomb and rose from the dead. Okay, well, one, the image on it, that's barely microfiber, like I was explaining stuff, is actually holographic. It actually can pop out. It actually has, like, information in there to become 3D. So that in itself is kind of startling. More than that, the blood on it is blood type AB. It is real blood. And the way the man is crucified is actually pinpoint accurate to the way a man would actually be crucified. And, and also, in it, you have, like, basically, <laughs> you can see blood trickling down from his head from something being shoved on his head, causing the bleeding to come down into his face, as well as basically on the side, on from right, specifically, his right side, he stabbed through, and blood was actually coming out from that right side. So you could see that all this stuff kind of builds up, and it seems to support it. Plus, also their pollen straight from the land of Israel in this cloth that date back to the time frame. And the weaving pattern as well date to the time frame when Jesus would have been around. So so the, the picture that has been imprinted on this cloth matches some of the biblical accounts of what happened to Jesus' body. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, because he was pierced on the side, he was nailed in the hands, flogged, I think they've said 40 times. Now, I'm looking at a picture of the shroud here, and it's pretty amazing to see how photographic it is. You know, it's a fabric graphic of possibly Christ. How did that happen? I mean, uh, it's, I mean I've mean, i never wrapped myself in anything before while I was wrapped in blood or soaked in blood. So I can't say, and most people haven't, so we can't say that it's pretty typical to be wrapped in a cloth and then take it off and it look like you. But how is it that this fabric has photographed the image of possibly Christ on it? How did that happen? That's the mystery. Nobody's really sure. They do get radiation readings from it and stuff like that, but even then, they're like, it's not a painting. It's actually put on there. It's one, pro one, one program explained it like it was like almost like if you put it in a scanner and it scanned the image onto the cloth. But even then, it scanned the image as a negative and not a positive. So are we talking about this image being imprinted on this fabric possibly as the resurrection happened? Yes, that's actually what I suspect. What could have been some type of... I mean, the only thing I can think of is, 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 is almost similar to like when you're taking a photo and you have your flash on and boom, it just kind of flashes the image. Are you saying just maybe a bright light could have possibly combusted from him and that light imprinted the image of Christ on the... On the image. On, yeah. the, on, on the, the cloth, cloth. Yeah. similar to making a copy of a anything on a copy machine, correct? Yeah, it's it's it's... It's ap like I said, it's so hard to explain. It's so hard. Yeah, well, it's, it's like, a mystery, and that's why we're mystery, talking about yeah. it today on Mystery Monday. But yeah. it's, it is pretty interesting, and does that make sense with the way that photographs are taken? I mean, I haven't studied the way that photographs are captured and taken and even the way that copy machines work, but does light and photograph and all that have to do with producing the image yeah producing an well, image yeah because when you take an image it usually is a negative and when you put it the solution and everything else and it goes through the process it'll come out as the positive image which is what we see with our eyes problem with like i was saying with the shroud earlier is it's quite the opposite instead the when we look at the image we're seeing the negative and when we take a picture and put it in the negative it comes out as the positive so there's a bit of enigma with that so it's like it's an inverse of what we're used to with photographs so it's yeah it's pretty interesting <laughs> yeah so it's, it is interesting but the that's one of the things to start bringing up some flags about it is because this guy wanted to take a picture of it he expected a negative and all of a sudden he gets this positive he's actually looking at almost this like popping out representation of this man and of course the guy said himself he's looking at the face of the lord that's why he described it yeah after taking the photo so wow. yeah i mean i'm looking at it right now and i mean it's pretty pretty incredible to think that that could possibly be the image of jesus although he does look pretty old i know he was 33 according to this image i mean um but i mean these were this was back in the first century so yeah i mean i we obviously don't have photos of what people look like back then but mm -hmm. um he does look like he, to me he could be 67 years old here really to me he does i mean yeah he does to me um oh. but but i mean he doesn't look like a typical 33 year old but i guess american culture and first century culture are a lot different yeah <laughs> yeah so a 33 year old during the during the 21st century compared to a 33 yeah. year old in the first century probably oh. nine day even then, if we kind of think about 30-year-olds today, we're going to be that long. We do grow beards that long. Jesus doesn't look too hipster here on this picture, though. I mean, no, I mean he doesn't. Oh, this is before hipster. 
B-H, before hipsters. <laughs> now let's talk about some of the disproofs mm. to the Shroud. Now if you're listening to this podcast right now, you're probably thinking, what in the world does this have to do with embracing wisdom? I think it has a lot to do with it and why we talk about these mysteries because, you know, it's it's so crucial that we have the right approach and the right response to things that we don't really have answers to that actually mean a lot to people that people are talking about you know maybe somebody you know might this the idea of the shroud might mean a lot to them so let's learn a little bit about it so we can learn how to have conversation on it and at least have some type of response to it yeah so So you talked about some of the proofs Mm -hmm. did you talk about all of them is there any other proofs Mm, there's actually more but I'll go into the disproofs and then finish it off with some new proofs okay. that were recent a few years so back. So let's talk about some of the disproofs mm-hmm. to the Shroud of Turin. Well, one disproof is he's too tall. Because they say people during this time were only five foot four max. Yeah. And stuff. So this guy is five ten. Five ten, yeah. So they're saying, well, that's basically then this guy can't be from the time. So period. if this if the Shroud of Turin is real it's basically telling us that Jesus was 5'10 during a time when people were 5'4, mm. which I think would make sense to me that God would create his son to be a little extra taller than <laughs> everyone else to kind of get a little more attention, to be heard maybe a little more clear as he preached the gospel of the kingdom. I mean, mm-hmm. pretty interesting. That would make sense to me. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that would be about six inches taller than the average Joe. Joe, exactly. Yeah, so, so I think the average height. What's the average height in America today? Do you know? Um, about six foot. Is this, six no, foot. it's not six. Well, foot. Not, no, average yeah, height average, is about five foot seven. Yeah, five, five, seven, seven. five seven, five eight. Yeah, so this so six inches above that would be six one, six two. Yeah. So it'd be as if Jesus was about and during our time about six two maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Which I was gonna say, but six, it's like two, look, six three. But when taking a look at it, there was a, a uh, priest that was looking at it and stuff like that. He came to the conclusion maybe it was the shroud. Shroud got stretched over time, you know, because uh-huh. of the elements and stuff. So maybe the image looks bigger, but he might actually be only five foot four. That's what the guy was concluding. I don't know, like I said, but that's little what he Jesus. <laughs> little Jesus, I know, right? Little Jesus. <laughs> I don't think I know any people, any guys that are five foot four. I'm trying to think if I. I don't know. Is Brian Bland five foot four? He's kind of a oh, small guy. No, he's only like five foot, maybe what five, six or seven. Oh, five, six or seven. Okay, he's I think Brian's guy. probably the shortest guy I know, next to my brother-in-law. Yeah, my brother-in-law may be about five four. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Maybe there is some other shorter people in our church. I'm not sure. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I can't. I mean, five foot four. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna I say. No, I mean, I guess I guess Jesus could be five foot four, but he's so he's so big in my. In my heart. I, I I mean, I could see him being a six foot seven, you know, <laughs> heroic, awesome, giant. studly <laughs> guy, <laughs> man. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so that's the thing, though, that I feel when it comes to the whole heights thing in the ancient past. Like they say, everyone was only like five foot four and stuff. Yeah, I'll tout that information because that's what scholars say. That's what everybody else says, you know. But sometimes I do question if that's really the case all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because. Because they're saying that basically, you can go back in the 1800s, you could find people in Africa that were average eight foot one. So you tell me about it. You know what I mean? So there were some tall dudes even then. So you know what I mean? So it's just like it. I think it just depends maybe where you come from, and what you're eating and what you're getting involved in and stuff like that possibly. But going back to what we're meaning to talk about, disproofs of the shroud. Okay, supposedly too tall. Um, let's see here. And there was another one. I'm trying to remember what it was. 
Well, actually, then there's, there's the biggest one, which I'll seal it with the biggest one because it's the one I remember, which is the one that they say is the all-out proof, is there's a ravocarbon dating test. There was a ravocarbon radio carbon test done, and I think it was about 1984. They tested the shroud, and it came out to be basically the, the cloth, quote-unquote, came out around thir- um, 1290, what was it? Oh, no, about 1250 to 1390, they were saying, around that time frame. So it was in the Middle Evil Ages, so it is false. That was their conclusion. Wow, okay. So, but there was something else discovered recently, which becomes a proof. Because there's this fan, there's these two people, they actually thought the Shroud was real. They had a bias. Okay, I'm going to be honest. These people had a bias. They thought the Shroud was real. They were examining the photographs and stuff, and then they eventually said, wait a minute, you see this weaving pattern over here? It's going the opposite direction than the rest of the Shroud. This isn't right. I think someone stitched this in. They colored the cloth to make it look exactly like the cloth and stitched it in. I bet you it's cotton and stuff like that, whatnot they were saying. And sure enough, one of the actual scientists that originally worked on the Shroud basically heard about these people's paper that they put out. He's like, oh, I can disprove that in a moment. I got a piece. I can look at it and see if it's really that. He goes and examines it underneath his microscope, and to his surprise, these people were right. It was added. It was a dyed piece of cotton. The rest of the cloth is made of linen. So this is two different cloths, and plus also the weaving pattern is going a completely different direction. What it was is a special tactic that they used called invisible weaving where they would actually bind the Hmm. fabric little pieces of fabric together Mm -hmm. where they'd basically be in together where it seems like they are part of the same but they're not Hmm. it's a special stitching thing that was done during that middle the middle ages that way cloth looked like legit yeah you know what i mean and nobody could tell it was patched wow so it was very very unique but it did happen to the shroud and that's what this guy did prove before he unfortunately died of cancer wow and stuff so but um well, we talked about some of the biblical, um, some of the Bible verses that actually, um, that some have used to prove or disprove the shroud. You, we talked about, I think it's, is it the book of Luke that mentions strips, wrapped in strips? John. The book of John mentions he's wrapped in strips. Mm. And and then basically, I believe it is Matthew we were looking at that said he was wrapped in a cloth. One, singular. Yeah, and so, so you were telling me that it's actually both. It's not just one or the other. It was both. It was both. Basically, and here's why I was explaining both is because it turns out in Jewish practice, when someone dies, they put a cloth, one around your head to keep your mouth, jaw from falling open. And then two, they'd bind your hands with a a strip of cloth. And then they'd bind your feet with a strip of cloth. And then they would put a face cloth, which John does mention in his gospel over your face, because it's like a victim of a violent death. That's what they do. They put it over their face. And then eventually in the tomb, they would probably removed it and then wrapped his cloth. They mm-hmm. wrapped him in the shroud. And so the shroud would be the final cloth. Yeah, the one that wraps around the whole body. Wraps around the whole body. So would the shroud be on top of the head cloth and the strips of linen? Yeah, it would be. Yeah, it would be placed on yeah. top of it, keeping the face. So you know, which means that if, cause, but, I mean, I'm looking at this, this picture of the shroud here, mm-hmm. and it's pretty clear. Um, that, that means that, I mean, for it to be that clear... And precise would mean would have to mean that there was a lot of blood coming through, soaked soaking through the cloth, the strips of linen and the head cloth, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Yeah, so far from what I get, yeah. Matter of fact, actually, the head cloth, the thing covering the face. There's actually a there are another artifact that ties in with this, but I can't remember the exact name. It's like the ovarium of 
Sanctorum, or I'm messing up the name. I guarantee you, I am messing up the name. But it basically has blood on it. That is the blood type AB, which the shroud itself has the same blood type. Matter of fact, they went as far as to say the blood actually comes from the same man. Hmm. And when they lined up certain aspects of this cloth with the shroud, lined up perfectly. And this cloth could be the head cloth. This cloth, yeah, would be possibly the head cloth too. Interesting. This man. Yeah. Because I mean, I know just in some of my readings that the scripture in Book of John that actually talks about the head cloth has been used to disprove the shroud because it's like. Well, he had a separate cloth wrapped around his head. He didn't have one full cloth. Exactly, yeah. They he had would a say. separate cloth, yeah. But it looks like the so. blood did pour through, is what this is actually showing. It did pour through onto the cloth. Yeah, yeah. Basically Which showing. would, I mean, if yeah, I mean, if, if the shroud is, is legit and real, then it would have had to mm -hmm. in order to reach the cloth. I mean, it would have had to soak through mm -hmm. to yeah. reach the cloth, yeah. So, and I think that's just another one of the other strong points and stuff like that is that right there. Because, like I said, there is... The arguments yeah. both ways and some people try to say that isn't the same cloth it just was luckily the same thing but it is made of the same if i'm right the same weave and stuff like that and whatnot it's been a while since i looked at the other one yeah i was mostly now, the other the cloth shroud, so. what do they call that i mean this is called the shroud of Turin. what's that other cloth called let me it? try to grab the name okay. uh let me look for it here because that name is so hard to pronounce because it's spanish because it's held in spain the sardinium of ovedo i think is what it's called the sardinium of ovedo which okay. is a stained piece of cloth measuring this. Uh, um, the Sardinium, um, basically sweat cloth, was a cloth wrapped around the head of Jesus Christ as he died in John 20, verses 6, six, six, uh, six through 7. This is what they say it is. Interesting. Uh, oh, wow. The small chapel was, uh, was built specifically for, um, for the cloth by King Alfonso II of Al um, Alturas, basically northern Spain, in 1840. And, oh, not 1840, 840 AD. So really early there. Yeah, that's pretty early. So basically, from what we see is yeah, it's called so it's called the Sardinium of Ovedo. I guess is how you'd say it. So, Aaron, where do you stand on the proof or disproof of the Shroud of Turin? Seeing that a lot of it, the weaving, the pollens, the blood, and everything like that points toward a real man on this image. You're getting 3D imaging, and you're getting obviously like a radiation coming from it, and all this other stuff. That can't just happen by chance. And of all everything on it matches the description of Jesus when he's crucified and buried. I don't think it's by chance that we have this cloth. I think it is legit. I think it is real. And wow. but I will say this though. I think it is legit. I think it is real. But it's just the receipt to the ultimate price paid. Now, real quick, we'll close with this. Where is the the shroud being held right now? Still in Turin. Still in Turin, Turin. this very day. Okay, and it's being held there. By who? By the family that originally purchased it, if I'm correct. Which was like the king of Turin. Oh, I forgot his name. But anyway, I was going to say, but yeah. So a family has this secured somewhere. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. When was it found? It Well, if you want to say when it was found. Basically, we get it all the way back to like, some people say in Odessa around 940 is the earliest we get it in history and stuff but supposedly they do say there's stuff that is earlier like i said about i remember 500 if i'm right is what they say is earlier and stuff but some people also say it's been in constantinople the entire time and stuff. So there's a debate right now and historically speaking that basically did it go to Edessa or did it go straight to constantinople this is kind of the thing that's kind of being debated right now when it comes to the shroud turn did it go from antioch to constantinople or did it go to Edessa and next you know then wound up in constantinople 
when the Byzantine people were able to win it back from the Muslims and stuff. And eventually they did bring it back and then the sacking of Constantinople in about 1240 if I'm right is what, when it was taken. And it was taken back by the Crusader, the, the Crusader's family, basically that family there, to Turin stayed there, if I'm remembering my history correctly. Okay. So if there's anything, if I'm wrong on that, I will correct myself. Interesting, interesting stuff. Well, hey, thank you guys so much for tuning in to Mystery Monday. Um, and I hope you learned something about the Shroud of Turin today. You know, there are so many relics and artifacts out there that point to the history of our faith, which are just so exciting. And so maybe in some future podcasts, we will talk about some of those artifacts, some of those relics. But anyhow, thank you so much for listening to the Daily Proverb today. We love you. We care so much for you. I want to close with this. I want to leave you with Proverbs chapter 17, verse 6. It says this, Grandchildren are the crown of old men, and the glory of sons is their fathers. Look, I, I just want to say this. What is it in your life that you are leaving for generations to come? What are you building? What are you preparing? What are you doing in your life right now that could possibly still be around 2,000 years from now? I mean, if this cloth is legit, Aaron, this is something that belonged, that was a part of Jesus' life all the way from 2,000 years ago, which is just incredible. We're still talking about it if that's the case. But what is it in our life that we're doing, that we're a part of, that could last for years and years and years to come? Love you guys, care for you, uh, and have a great day. God bless you. Bye-bye. God bless.